So shortly after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples abandoned Jerusalem and they returned to Galilee. It was home for most of them uh, and Jesus had said that he would meet them there. But when Peter tells the others that he's going fishing, it feels like the ultimate regression. After three years with Jesus, nothing seems to have changed. These men witnessed miracles. They heard the most profound teaching ever uttered by human lips. They saw the resurrection with their own eyes. And yet here they are, after all of this, not sure what to do. And so they settle back into old routines and they go fishing. As this final chapter of John's gospel begins, the future of Jesus' followers hangs in the balance. Will these men revert to their former ways and settle back into rural anonymity? Or will they become the fishers of men that Jesus said they would become when he invited them to follow him on the shores of this same lake three years earlier? There's so much going on in John 21. So many details and different storylines. It's hard to know what to focus on. But there is something that holds this chapter together. With every word and action, Jesus looks back in order to move forward. By taking the disciples back to moments in their ministry together, not only does he reassure them, he tells them something about the ministry that they will share going forward in his name. We see this in a miraculous catch, in an unexpected meal, a nearly forgotten name, and then finally and ultimately in a familiar invitation. We're going to look at each one of these and we'll start with that miraculous catch. So you're gonna wanna have your Bibles open to John 21 on page 907 so that you can follow along as we work our way through this chapter. The very first miraculous catch of fish recorded in the Gospels is in Luke chapter five. It was early in Jesus' ministry and he was teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds pressed in as he taught, forcing him closer and closer to the water's edge. And when he saw an empty boat and its owner standing nearby, Jesus commandeered both asking to be put out a few feet from shore so that he could teach them from the boat. After teaching, Jesus turned to Peter, the owner of the boat, who'd been sitting helplessly by his side the whole time. And he said to him, put out into the, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter then explained that he had actually been out fishing all night the night before and caught nothing. But Jesus insisted, Peter obeyed, and he caught so many fish that the nets begin to break apart and he had to call for help. James and John, who were his business partners, came out in another boat and both boats were filled to the point of nearly sinking. When the men had come ashore, Jesus turned to them and he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Luke tells us that they left everything and followed him. Well, three years later, those men are back on the same lake, along with four others. And as dawn breaks over them, they have nothing to show from a night of fishing. They hear a voice from the shore, children, do you have any fish? It's obvious that whomever's calling to them knows that their boat is empty. 
Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. The disciples do as instructed and they find their nets full to the point of bursting. This time though, John tells us that the nets don't break. And as they haul the fish into the boat, John turns to Peter and he confirms what they all suspect. It's the Lord. Peter, impetuous as always, grabs his clothes and he jumps into the water to swim to shore to get there ahead of the others. In this moment, when the future seems to hang in the balance, Jesus communicates volumes by his actions. It's as if he's saying to them, do you remember the first time we met? I do. And I remember the promise that I made to you that you would become fishers of men. Well, you're ready now. Those nets which broke the first time, they held true this morning as a sign that you have the tools you need for the mission I've given you. And those fish, that miraculous catch, it's my assurance to you that I will be right there with you providing you with one miraculous catch after another. I have risen and I will soon ascend, but I will still be with you in your work. John tells us that 153 fish were caught that morning. Now, it is not at all uncommon for men to want to quantify a catch like this for posterity. And incredible fishing stories always better with actual facts. But it's possible that in a culture where numbers were highly symbolic, that something more is going on in the mention of this number. So natural scientists who wrote before the time of Jesus believed that there were a total of 153 species of fish in the world. John wrote this gospel late in life after years of study and it's likely that he, he knew this fact. To say that the disciples had caught 153 fish, it might have been John's way of indicating that they, as fishers of men, were being sent out to every single tribe, people, and nation in the world and that there would be a harvest among them all. Whether or not that's what John had in mind, we simply can't know. What we do know is that in this miraculous catch, Jesus was looking back in order to move forward. He was reminding the disciples of their calling to become fishers of men. He was confirming that they were ready. And he was assuring them that he would work in them and through them in the days ahead. Well, after this miraculous catch, Jesus surprises the disciples with an unexpected meal. Mark tells the story in chapter 6 of his gospel of how the disciples returned to Jesus after a short missionary trip into the villages of Galilee. Weary but excited, they gathered in an out-of-the-way spot in order to rest and report what they'd done. Soon, however, they were overwhelmed absolutely overwhelmed by a crowd of 5,000 men along with women and children who had come to hear Jesus teach. After teaching the crowd, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them to feed them. Confused and frustrated, they explained to him that they only had five loaves of bread and two fish and that there was no way on earth they could feed so many thousands of people. 
Undeterred, Jesus took the bread and he took the fish. He blessed them and he began to break them apart. And soon everyone in the crowd had been fed. And at the end of the evening, each one of the disciples had an entire basket of leftovers for himself. Fast forward to John 21, and here they are again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. As they step out of the boat, wrestling with their massive haul of fish, Jesus is waiting. He has a fire going and a meal cooking. And wouldn't you know, it's bread and it's fish. It's as if Jesus is saying to them, remember when I told you to feed the 5,000? Remember how overwhelmed and irritated you were? Remember how we fed them together? And how each of you had your own basket of leftovers when the day was done? I want you to remember this in the days ahead. Your work will be hard, exhausting, and frustrating. But I will continue to feed you. Not only will I give you what you need to get the job done, I will bless you with an abundance of leftovers. But there's more to this meal, isn't there? It was Jesus' way of telling his friends that they'd not lost the intimacy of their fellowship with him. Yes, he was going away. Yes, he was about to ascend to the right hand of God the Father in order to reign over all creation. But no, their relationship wouldn't change. He was their Lord, but he was also their friend. He'd made this clear, absolutely clear, during another memorable meal the night before he was killed. It was Passover. And Jesus, having explained that he was about to become the new Passover sacrifice for the sins of the world, had taken bread and wine and he'd instructed them to eat and drink in remembrance of his body broken and his blood shed. And then he explained that there's no greater love than laying down one's life for his friends. And that's what he did the very next day. This simple meal over a charcoal fire took the disciples back a few days to the Last Supper and back a few years to the feeding of the 5,000, assuring them that Jesus would be with them and that he would give them all they needed to do the work that he had called them to do. John 21 begins with a miraculous catch, which is followed by an unexpected meal. And then in verse 15, the focus shifts onto a single man. And the story, the story really of the future of the church hinges on the use of an almost forgotten name. Simon, son of John. This is what Jesus says to Peter as they walk along the shore together after breakfast. Do you love me more than these? It had been a long time since Jesus had called him Simon. Perhaps as long as a year or two. Near the midpoint of his ministry, Jesus had taken the disciples far up to the north. And at the outskirts of a pagan town called Caesarea Philippi, he had asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon had replied without hesitation, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. To which Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when Jesus gave him that new name, he must have felt like the strongest man in the world. Peter, of course, means rock. It implies strength and permanence. And that was who Peter had become, a strong and steady man. But on the night before Jesus died, Peter had been anything but a rock. Three times that night, he had denied his Lord before slinking off into the darkness and running away. So when Jesus turns to him in this private moment, and calls him Simon, son of John, Peter feels the sting. It's his old name. It's his former identity. It's who he was before he met Jesus, but it's not who he wants to be. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Peter replies. Two more times Jesus asks if Peter loves him, and twice more Peter says yes. Three times total, one for each of his denials. Jesus is testing him, but he's also restoring him. It's as if he's saying, who are you, my friend? Are you Simon or Peter? If you want this life with me, you cannot be the man you were. You'll need to be the man I've called you to be. And with each reply, Peter affirms his love for Jesus with a sense of sorrow, but also a sense of hope and a longing to be the rock that Jesus called them. This conversation must have been painful for Peter. But with each question and answer, Jesus restores him. Feed my lambs, he says, after the first time Peter confesses his love. Tend my sheep, he says, the second time. And then feed my sheep after the third. With each command, a little bit of Peter returns to the man who was once called Simon. By looking back and calling him Simon, Jesus reminds Peter of who he had been before they met. He takes him back to his former life and says, no more. He also reminds him that it was he, Jesus, who had given him a new name. It was he who had made him a new man. And it was he who could restore him even after he'd totally abandoned him. There's one more way in which Jesus looks back in order to move forward in John 21. And it comes as he gives a familiar invitation. So in Mark's account of the gospel, uh, Jesus first met Simon Peter and his brother Andrew by the Sea of Galilee. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, Mark tells us, they left their nets and followed him. Now Peter and Andrew had no idea what they were signing up for. They might have been in it just for the adventure at this point, but along the, along the way, they learned that it was much, much more. Now, at the end, at the end of John's gospel, Jesus' first words to Peter are also his final words, follow me. But now they have a very different feel. Look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, on that same trip to the north where Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus had explained more clearly than ever before what it would cost for the disciples to follow him. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, now at the end of three years with Jesus and at the beginning of a new season of ministry, follow me, it's still an invitation But it's also a somber warning. If you follow me, you'll suffer as I have suffered. You will take up your cross and deny yourself rather than me. Jesus couldn't be any clearer about the cost of following him. But you know, at this crucial moment, when everything seems to hang in the balance, Peter gets distracted. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who'd also leaned back against him during the supper and said, the Lord, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? This is such a painful moment. Jesus has forgiven Peter. He's restored him and he's invited him to follow him once again. And what's the first thing Peter does? Instead of squaring his shoulders and facing forward, he turns his head to look back. But what about him? Jesus will have none of it. Looking him in the eye, he says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. These are the last words that Jesus utters in John's gospel. They're an invitation. An invitation to walk a path of painful suffering, suffering, but a path that leads to unspeakable glory. And they're a promise that Jesus will be there at the end of the road in all of his risen glory. In this final chapter of John's gospel, Jesus looks back in order to move forward. By giving his disciples one more miraculous catch, he shows them that his power will be with them as they turn their attention to fishing for men. By serving them an unexpected meal, he assures them that even in his coming absence, they will never lose the intimacy of their relationship with him. By calling Peter by his nearly forgotten name, Jesus reminds him that even in our failures, he's ready to forgive and to restore. And by repeating a familiar invitation, he warns them of the suffering to come, while at the same time assuring them that he will be there to greet them in the end. Now, there are times for all of us when our faith and our future hang in the balance, when we're tired, when we're confused, when we just want a break from struggling and suffering. 
when we wonder where Jesus could possibly be or if he even cares. In those times, Jesus calls to us from out of the darkness and he invites us to look back in order to move forward. To look back at his faithfulness to us as individuals and to look back into the scriptures to see his faithfulness to his people throughout the ages. And when we do this, when we look back, what we see is his miraculous provision and his promise to continue to provide all that we need for the work he's given us. We're reassured of his friendship and the intimacy of our fellowship with him. We're reminded of the gift of forgiveness and the fact that he can and will restore us regardless of what we've done. And we hear once again the simple invitation to follow him through suffering and into glory. Christian life, it's not about arriving. It's about following. It's about putting one foot in front of the other and trusting the Lord to guide us as we do. He is faithful. And when we doubt that, all we have to do is look back in order to move forward. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you know all things because you are Lord of all things. You know the state of our hearts and where we are today, each one of us, whether we're tired, whether we're confused, joyful, expectant. You know just how we are and where we are on this road of following you. And I pray to each of us that you would give us the ability to look back at all times as we walk this life of faith, to see your faithfulness to us, and so to move forward in hope and confidence knowing that you will guide and lead us to the end of the road. We thank you for the invitation to follow you and the promise that we will one day reign with you in eternity. Give us strength this day to put one foot in front of the other for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. I invite you to kneel if you're able to as we prepare for a time of prayer together.